Prithvi Maduka, aka The Marketing Nomad, is a digital nomad and nano-influencer. She started her company, The Marketing Nomad, to empower entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and small business owners across the world. This episode, you will learn her marketing tips and tricks to implement long-term, actionable marketing strategies to help you grow your business with confidence, as well as why it's important to know who you are and what you stand for to be successful in business. First off, I think I need to share the story of how I found my passion and how that led to me starting my entrepreneurial journey. It's got drama. It's got intrigue. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. That's exactly (laughs) what I need. Drama and intrigue. Okay, absolutely. So basically, I am an engineer by degree. And you're going to be like, what happened? Because now I'm a marketer. And so basically, sometime in during my second year of engineering, I realized that this was not actually the career path that I could envision myself for the next 40 years of my life. Yes, I was inherently curious as a person, but I just could not see myself in that field. Around this time, I was kind of whiling away my summer holidays, just not knowing what to do. And my dad, very typical Indian parent, Uh, He comes up to me and he says, why don't you get some real world experience? You know, put your education to some good use out there, get some skills. And I told him, like I joked and I said, well, with the marks I have, I don't think anyone's going to hire me for an internship. And, you know, my dad laughed. My mom was not amused. Uh, Both my parents are entrepreneurs. So my dad actually took me to his company the next day and he said, "Okay, why don't you just help out my website team? And I was really grumpy about the whole thing because here I was lazing around my holidays. And I mean, to every teenager, I think that's just the best thing to do, right? And so there I was at his company and uh, all I had to do, all my job was, was to fix um, spelling and grammatical mistakes on the website. So I started with that. Given my flair for writing, I helped out with the spelling. Then there was another sentence on another page that I thought could be reframed into a better way. And then there was another page where the color just did not match the overall aesthetic of the website. And slowly, time just flew. Eight hours at that company every single day for that entire month, it just flew. I even voluntarily went back the next two summers to help my dad's team out. So it started with the website, then it went on to helping them with the social media and all of those things. And at that point, I really didn't understand what all of this was. I didn't know it was called marketing. And, you know, the society that I grew up in, well, there are only three professions that you can take up. You can either be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer. If you choose any other profession, one, you are guaranteed a failure. Number two, even if you did find some semblance of success, it would just be chalked off as sheer dumb luck. Okay, so at this point, I was really frustrated. I was so lost. Everyone around me seemed to have their life figured out. And for a 20, 22-year-old, that's a pretty scary thought because here I was not knowing what my next steps were. I didn't even know what to do. And around this time, you know, I was also engaging myself in college fests, strategizing for those college fests, helping people with outreach. And everything in that entire area, my mind was working so fast. You know, everything was just clicking, putting into place, and I really didn't understand what was going on. So given that both my parents were entrepreneurs, I had a very natural instinct to start my own business someday. That was something that was very clear right since the age of seven for me. So 
when I finished my engineering, I got my degree with a lot of difficulty, but I did get it. I thought, okay, why not I do my MBA? That business is something that I've always had an inherent interest in. So let me do my MBA. So I was in India at the time. I grew up in Singapore. I did my engineering in India. And then I applied to universities in the US. And I got into Rochester Institute of Technology for my MBA program. It's the first class in marketing in during the first semester. And I'm sitting there in class and the professor's just asking questions just to engage the class, try to figure out what's the knowledge and the strength of the class and all of that. And there I was like a total nerd raising my, my hand for every single question that the professor was asking. And it wasn't normal marketing questions either. It was like, I remembered a campaign from 10 years ago by Coca-Cola or a marketing campaign by Maggie three years ago. And it was so odd for me because turns out like all my life, I had sort of absorbed information about marketing. I just didn't know it was called marketing. I didn't even realize I had a, uh, I had a passion for it. So that was when in that moment in class, I realized that was the career path that I wanted to take. My story actually starts there. <laughs> and then the, now the drama starts, you know, because for every international student in the US, you are given one year of work time under your student visa. So you're allowed to get a job, but after the one year is over, you have to convert that into a work visa. Your employer will do it for you. Unfortunately or fortunately, it is a lottery in the US. And in 2019, when my employer applied for me, I got a great job, by the way, great job in the marketing field uh, at a top solar firm in New York. I mean, greatest city in the world. I was on Long Island as well. I was traveling and it was just such an amazing life, beautiful and everything seemed to fit so perfectly. I had the best life ever. And so in 2019, when my employer applied for the work visa for me, there were 200 and 1,000 applicants in that year. And out of them, only 85, around 85,000 were picked. And mine was not processed. Oh. Okay, so yes. And that meant I had to leave the place that I had absolutely loved. I had to leave the job that I loved, the career path that I thought was working out for me. I mean, the future that I envisioned, the girl living her best life in New York was just gone in a, in a few seconds right there. And so around this time, I was in a lot of pain. I was a lot of frustration and just anguish, you know, because I mean, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> this is, it's pretty unheard of. But at the same time, you know, everyone's looking at you saying, oh, you're done for. Because of course, there's a common misconception that you have to be in a particular city, in a particular country, in a particular company for you to be successful. And here I was with absolutely nothing. I was at level zero at the time. And it was very painful for me because I've always wanted an extraordinary life. That's just who mm. I've always been. And now, you know, you see all of these people saying, well, if you're not here, 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 then you're not going to have that kind of life that you're envisioning. So that was a very, very difficult time for me. So around that time, I thought, okay, well, I'm at level zero. Okay. My next step is to apply for jobs across the world, put my resume on LinkedIn and just put myself out there. But I'm at level zero why not I start something on my own right now instead of five or 10 years down the line, which was always my plan, maybe something good can come out of this entirely bad situation. 
And I thought that given that I was already at level zero, I was in that unique position to actually start something on my own. You know, I had no commitments. I was absolutely just myself. So I said, maybe I owe it to myself to at least try to find some light in this darkness. And so that actually began my entire thought process for the entrepreneurial journey and how I even started. And I, you know, put my profile up on freelance websites. I started getting clients about eight months in. It was pretty clear that this was working out for me. When I first started out, I thought, let me try this for a year. If, if I can't at least make basic monthly income to sustain myself and my business uh, expenses, then I'm going to quit and I'll just put my resume on LinkedIn. You know, that, that's the natural way to go about it. But if I didn't give myself this chance, then maybe I would regret it. So eight months down the line, it was pretty clear that things were working out for me. And pretty soon after that, August 2020, I set up my company while I was in India. I set up my company in Delaware, USA, and I positioned myself as a marketing strategy consultant. It's been two years since August 2020. I did that in the middle of a pandemic. It was a pretty <laughs> bold move. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to look at me with absolute craziness. But let me tell you, Sam, the last three years of my life, it's been an absolute roller coaster, but I would not have it any other way. Yeah. And talk me through the process of finding clients in the pandemic, because obviously everything's online. You can't really travel, but you set up this business in the US. So I assume you're aiming for US based clients. But how are you finding them on LinkedIn or like other places? Oh, yeah. So I'm a digital nomad. Like my online pseudonym is The Marketing Nomad. And for me, I don't have any restrictions in terms of where I'm getting my clients. I've worked with 60 plus clients in the last three years from eight different countries. So my entire business is absolutely online and that's why I even set it up in the US. Where do I find these clients? Mostly because of my presence on social media and then I get my first set of clients and then those people have actually referred me. So a huge chunk of my uh, clients based at this moment are referrals. But to begin with, I have to say my social media presence really pushed me to one, put that trust factor out there to build relationships, for people to understand who I was, for me to gain recognition, for me to gain brand awareness, I guess they would call it that. And then for me to position myself as an industry leader. So the power of social media has been insane. And it has really helped me a lot to position myself as a digital entrepreneur and business owner. Yeah. And, and Prit, for our listeners or listener, should I say, because you should always talk to the one person, which is the one person <laughs> listening. I don't think people sit around and listen to podcasts and groups, but how can we build our social media presence in the same way that you have to put ourselves as a thought leader and an expert in that area? And, you know, if you want to get some clients or whatever you want to get out of it. I think the first step that I had to learn what to do was how to be authentic and how to be, and what was even defining the concept of authenticity? Because when I first started out, I saw all of these successful digital entrepreneurs out there, and they had a particular style of going about things. Whereas I, to my strengths and my personality, it was not a match. However, what I ended up doing was I actually suppressed my natural personality, my natural strengths, and I started emulating them because I thought that was the only definition of how to be successful. That was the only path to be successful. And so I think one of the first things that I personally had to learn, and I hope that you as a listener will 
you know, figure it out as well is how to be authentic to yourself, how to understand what works for you, what does not work for you, what are your strengths, how can you use those strengths to really propel yourself, understand what your beliefs are, what your vision is, what your mission is. And it's really important for you to get these right because that's the building, the relationship building foundation that you are going to set with your listeners and your subscribers. Because if you are not clear on your vision, on your mission, you will not be able to connect with them. Okay, because you're going to be like a headless chicken, basically, you know, but when you have some sort of direction, when you are clear about who you are as a person, you are, you are not conflicting, you're not posing conflicting ideas out there, you are being authentic to yourself. And when they can see that level of consistency from you, it's easier for them to build that trust. And especially in the digital entrepreneurship world, like you said, Sam, there is no in-person relationship there. So what you portray online has to be absolutely make, I mean, it has to make them feel like they are actually talking to you in person, you know? And how do you do that? By using your strengths to your advantage. Yeah. And seeing as you mentioned your strengths, what, what are your strengths, Prit? How do you kind of put yourself out there in your most genuine way and genuine self? Absolutely. So like I said, so most of the digital entrepreneurs at the time when I first started out, they were very stoic and uh, you know, very formal online that they were giving off tips like one, two, three. I'm not that kind of a person. I mean, I love storytelling, as you can make up from this podcast episode. I, I have my own personality. I'm pretty quirky as a person. I'm witty. I'm funny. So for me, understanding that that was my personality, that was my strength was the first step. And so the second thing about me is I really like on spot talking. I'm not the best when you give me a script beforehand. I may have a few points listed out. That's one thing. But for the most part, I like the, you know, the fluidity and the spontaneity of um, talking live and stuff like that. So I started using that for my platforms. Not just that, my mission is to empower business owners to confidently show up to grow their business, you know, to grow the business that they love. And for me, that includes mindset tips, business tips, marketing tips. And not just that, I personally like to share my struggles, my lessons, what mistakes I have made. And I think that that was vulnerability that I wanted other business owners to see and to recognize that they weren't alone in their journey. So all of this kind of ties back to my vision and my mission for my business. And I stopped showing up the way that would emulate other people, but instead my beliefs, my thought processes and stuff like that. So if you look at my first hundred YouTube videos, you will see that I am just so stoic and just so absolutely serious when I go there. And that's not my personality. If that's your personality, you know, stick to it because that's what your strength is. But that was not mine. And only after I drastically changed it, like, for example, if I made a mistake on one of my podcast episodes, I have my own podcast and I would give like these 30, 40 minute marketing tips on there. So if I made a mistake, usually when I was trying to emulate other people, I would scrap the whole sentence and then I would re-record it and re-record it till it was perfect or what I assumed to be perfect. But after I figured out that I wanted to align with my personality and who I was as a person, it actually didn't matter to me if I made a mistake. I'd just laugh it off and then I'd just say, wow, that was a complicated sentence or a complicated word. And then I'll just move past it. And frankly, when I'm listening to another person's podcast, 
I like that. I like that rawness in it. And I knew that I would want to attract the people who would align with that as well. So that was a few examples that I have for you. Lovely. And as well, you said, you know, these are the examples, this is how things are done. But, you know, it, not to kind of gloss over this, but you had you have had 60 clients in yeah. eight different countries. What kind of work are you doing for them? Because obviously when you're building your personal brand, that's one thing. But like, yeah. what are the services you're offering these people and how did you kind of learn those skills? Oh, yeah. So basically, like I said, I already had a natural inclination towards marketing. And in the one year that I worked under... Um, a brilliant marketing manager, I learned so many different things like email marketing, website marketing. And because it was a startup, uh, the exposure that I had was phenomenal. And so when I first started out, actually, this was a mistake that I made. And I hope that by sharing it with your listeners, they might have a better starting point for their business or their freelance as well. So when I first started out, I started with 23 services. And I realized very quickly that that was going against the very definition of being an expert. An expert is the authority in one field and one field only. And in that process of having 23 different services, I was really excited. I mean, those were my strengths, right? Those are things that I was good at and I could do. And over time, I realized that one, I was confusing my audience by keeping so many services. And the second, I was getting overwhelmed with the amount of services that I had while starting out. So that's when I decided to niche down completely. And now all that I do is marketing strategy consulting. So whether it is you know, your overall marketing structure or your website or social media, if you wanna plan anything that comes under marketing strategy, that's what I focus in. So I really, really recommend niching down and then expanding once you've become an expert in that particular field. That's very, very important because you're going to be having very conflicting messages throughout your marketing. And that's only going to confuse the other people. Like I said, no in-person relationships. So you have to really pay attention to these small things. Yeah. And for the listener out there that might have an interest in marketing, what does it look like to, to give a marketing consultancy plan? Like, you know, because as much as you hear the word marketing consultancy plan, you won't actually be able to kind of visualize what that process yes. is like unless you've done it and you have. So could you tell me what that's like? Oh, yeah. So basically, when um, a client comes to me, we have a pre-call where I understand where they're at. What is the problem that they're facing? So to be very simple, Sam, I'm a problem solver. If there is a problem with your marketing, that's exactly what I, I, I kind of look at what you're having a problem with. Sometimes people don't understand what the problem actually is. And then I figure out solutions for it. So very simply put, I'm a problem solver. So for example, a potential client comes up to me and then they say, Prit, I don't know even know what, what I'm struggling with, but I'm not growing on social media at all. And so then I take a look at you know, their page. First off, I check if there is a sort of, I guess I would say connection between me and them. That's very important for me as well. There are some industries that I do not work with. There are some industries that I, it's absolutely my area of expertise. So I take a look at that. Um, just to be very clear, I don't work with mental hospitals and uh, people in the mental health thing, just because it's a little bit triggering for me. And so that's one area that I don't work with, just an example. But for the most part, industries, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable with them, regardless, because I have an engineering degree. Engineering-based businesses also work for me as well. So they've come with the problem. I figure out what the problem is. I let them know that, okay, 
this is what your problem is. Maybe their content is not working well. Okay, so I, I let them know what the problem is. And then they book one of the packages on my website. Everything's out there. I'm extremely transparent as a person, all my prizes, everything. So they book the package through my website. So now that I've let them know that the problem is with their content marketing, I basically come up with the plan for them to A, figure out what kind of content they need to be putting on social media to help them gain awareness or even position themselves. I give them a 90 day plan to help them out with their next steps. And I take into account, like if they are a solopreneur, if they are the only person doing their marketing, I make sure I factor that into my plan. I don't want to do something like create a plan that is overwhelming for them as a business owner and solopreneur. And if they have a team, then I take into account what their team's capabilities are. I actually work side by side with the team, understanding their strengths and seeing how I can put that into the plan. So basically the plan gives them actionable steps. It gives them a 90 day window to implement it. And then there's always a follow-up call about a month later after implementation, just in case you know there are a few kinks along the way that they figure out and they need my help and their, my advice and all of that. So it's usually a one to two month turnaround. I also have clients who hire me for nine months and that's because it's something big, like they have a launch coming up and it's a pretty massive launch. They need my help with websites, social media, email marketing, and maybe even content marketing. So in that case, it extends to nine months. I think nine months is the biggest project that I have worked on. Yeah. And seeing as a lot of your work has come through referrals, I'm sure you wouldn't mind sharing a story of one of your clients as in, you know, what their problem was, how you helped them and what the result was, because that's the kind of stuff that people hear and they go, right. I'm hiring Prit because she knows exactly what to do. Absolutely. So, I mean, a couple of problems. I, I wouldn't say problems. I think they're just stuck at that point and they're just unable to figure out a way. But one of them was a launch that I did pretty recently. I think this is the one that comes to mind. So the owner had previously worked with me for his uh, parent company. And uh, both of them are in the jewelry space, but one was gold jewelry and one was uh, I, it was like not gold, but everyday gold jewelry. So that was like a sub sister brand for the main company. So he had hired me for the first one, liked my work. And then he hired me again to start the company from scratch for him. So that meant understanding what his niche was. Where did he want to take his company? Figuring out his target market. It started from scratch. This was the nine month project. So I started from scratch, understood what exactly his target audience is what was their thought process, how to position the company in a way that understood the target audience. What were the marketing campaigns that he could run? Like for example, for the everyday jewelry line, it was mostly millennials, okay? And um, the company positioned itself, and this was on my advice, to enable women empowerment, you know? Regardless of whether you are a stay-at-home mom or you're working, out there, you are working basically. And, you know, it was just in that form of women empowerment. And they had a couple of campaigns around that. Not just that I uh, advised them to have a referral program. And I, I use the word advice because I'm just a consultant. I just want to put that out there. There is no forcing them to do at the end of the day. It is the discretion of the business owner and the marketing team. I'm just there to advise. 
just wanted to put that out there. So I advise them on having a referral program because that's also super, super important, especially in today's day and age. And then I research the different platforms that they could have a referral program on, gave them the price points, they made a decision. Not just that, I gave them different ideas of how to carry out the referral program, how to incentivize it, basically, how to encourage people to have that, how to get repeat customers coming back to your business. You know, what are the tiny tricks and, you know, tactics that you can use with respect to your email marketing and your website? How do you get people to um, do the opt in, like give them their email address, because people are pretty persnickety about that. You know, how do you get them to that stage? And that's basically what I do. I analyze your target audience. I kind of get into their minds. This is something that I'm really, really good at. Consumer behavior is actually my niche. And understanding their behavior is how I help you solve your problem. Because marketing is fundamentally about understanding the behavior of your target audience. Yeah. Well, talk to me about uh, consumer behavior. What, what is it? Because like, I, I obviously don't know anything about it compared to you. So tell me about <laughs> consumer behavior. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So consumer behavior is quite simply put the behavior of your audience. Now, each one of us, like, for example, in the two years that have passed the last two years, naturally, there's going to be a difference in our thought process. You know, we are a little bit more edgy when it comes to our spending patterns, which we would not have been two years before that. I mean, the, the concept of a pandemic, a worldwide shutdown would never have even occurred to us. So that means there's a natural hesitation to spend. There is also a natural inclination to save because now that you know that things can go haywire in less than six months, you know, there's a natural change in our behavior after the last two years that have happened. All of this contributes to consumer behavior. There's a thought process change. There is a behavioral pattern change. So understanding your audience, how they behave, where they hang out, what exactly excites them, what makes them make the purchase decision, what helps them decide that, okay, I want to go with brand A and not brand B, or I want to go with brand B, but I'm not sure about brand A. How do you convince them to go for your brand? How do you connect with them in a way that helps them choose and build that relationship with your brand? So all of that comes under consumer behavior. And there are different ways to go about this. It's not a very cutthroat and cookie cutter solution either. It's varying aspects and you layer all of it. You know, there's demographics, the place that people live in that affects their decision-making process, how they were brought up, the social strata, you know, um, even including the upbringing, if they were part of, like if they were from a divorced family, their entire thought process is very different from someone who had maybe a stable and secure family life in the beginning stages of their. So understanding how those factors contribute to their purchase decision is basically consumer behavior. And that really helps the company because one, you are understanding your audience at a level that is very primate, I guess I would say, because you truly get them. And when they know, when they can sense that, okay, this person really gets me. I think that's just an easier way to start building that relationship and relationships build trust, trust builds that purchase. Because at the end of the day, as much as we think that your audience buys your product because they like your product, actually it's not. It's a very, very, very emotional decision. It's usually not based on logic, contrary to popular belief. 
And you want that emotion to be in place. And how do you do that? By understanding them. Yeah. And I guess once you have that kind of ideal customer avatar, how do you then kind of go about, like, obviously, you know who you want to sell to, but how would you go about finding that person? You know, like, because that's basically what marketing is, is connecting people with the things that they want to purchase or people with the things that they need to see. But how do we connect those dots? Yeah, so I think this is something that I've written in my book as well. And I and I really, truly believe this. There may be tons of complex marketing strategies out there, okay? there If you search the net, you will get plenty. But I believe that you need one starting point, one single starting point for any of your marketing activities. And it is this. Create paths for people to find you. That's all you need to start with, okay? So for example, your audience is on Instagram, okay? Your next step is to create an Instagram account. That's point B. That's where you are. Now, using hashtags, using the kind of attractive, you know, eye-catching content, you grab their attention and maybe you put out content out there that is, that really resonates with them, whether it is industry information or whether it's emotional content, whatever it is, create paths for people to find you. The one way to do it is content marketing. That's a very, very important part. It has to be an important part of your entire business as well. So create paths for people to find you. Not just that. Once you create these different paths, don't forget to interlink them. Like, for example, Sam, you've got this podcast and you've also got an Instagram account. Make sure that you're telling people on your Instagram account to catch you on your podcast or catch you on your website and so on and so forth. Because you've got to understand that the longer they are on your platforms, the lesser time they're on your competitors. You know, So that's a very important concept. So, you know, For the time being, sorry, if you're thinking of adding complex marketing strategies, I would say first start with creating paths for people to find you, interlink them, and then slowly add on marketing strategies to make sure that it builds because you need a firm foundation first. Yeah. I I didn't know you'd written a book, by the way, Prit. So if you could tell me about this book, I'm assuming it's about marketing, but as well, you know, you said, oh, I've covered this topic in my book, you know, kind of give us that kind of semi-sales pitch of the book about what we could learn from this book. Oh yeah. So uh, the book is actually going to be out in a couple of days. I'm very, very excited. The book's name is Zero to Four Figures, Lessons Learned by a Broke CEO. I cover various different topics like mindset, Um, business, marketing, success, and failures. And it is basically a compilation of 61 lessons that I have learned in the first three years of my digital entrepreneurship journey. Not just that, each lesson has a story from my life leading up to the lesson learned. So different aspects. It's very, very, um, it's been liberating to say the least because I've talked about how I started the journey. You know, it came from a lot of pain, a lot of anguish. I've shared a lot of what has happened, the challenges I faced being a broke entrepreneur when I first started, because I put in all my savings to start this entire journey. And let's face it, I mean, I was living, um, I was living close to New York City, plus it was only one year of working, so there was not much of any saving done there. So how I grew from zero to one to two to three to four figures, consistent four-figure months which is where I'm at right now. So it's a pretty big book. It's got 384 pages, but it's very, very close to my heart. And I I would love for you to read it. Yes. Lovely. And I'm assuming that's available on Amazon. 
Yes, yes, very oh. soon. In a couple of days, it will be available everywhere, like Kobo, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. You'll be able to get it. Oh, lovely. Well, I'll be buying a copy. And by the time this comes out, obviously the listeners will be like, oh, I can just go buy it, you know, from oh, yeah. Amazon or wherever. So that's perfect. But one thing I want to ask you about, because, I, you know, you can tell me if I, I'm probably like kind of saying too much here, but your mindset is such an important thing. And I feel like for you as a, as an Indian woman, you know, to, to have the courage to to set your mind to not only run your own business, but as well as that, to be like, focused and going out there and getting your own things in the world it's tough but you've done a lot of like work for yourself to make yourself kind of the person that you are now and who you're going to be in the future yes absolutely i mean you nailed it sam absolutely and the thing is i think that and i'm sure you will agree with me on this sam is that the entrepreneurial journey is fundamentally about you yes you may be creating products and services and you want to start your own business and all of that yes 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 all that but i think that the more you understand yourself the more chances you have for success and i really i i believe so much in this like the amount of myself that i knew before i started this journey to where i am today it has it has been a phenomenal growth it's like an exponential growth in the last three years and when it comes to mindset especially there have been so many lessons that i have to i've had to learn and Without mindset, I do not think that I could have been here, whether it was shifting my mindset to deal with all of that pain and that anguish and, you know, my future not being what it is to facing the challenges unique to me as a person, because I'm not just an Indian woman. I'm also a millennial. I'm also broke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm also part of a different social strata. I, I have my own challenges that come with all of the factors that affect me as a person and, you know, there were a lot of tons and tons of mindset shifts that I have made to get to where I am. And I know that it's not going to stop there. I know that I've got to keep making more and more and more to get to where I am. But fundamentally, I think the easiest way to start is to understand who you are as a person, understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses. If you can't overcome your weaknesses, figure out ways to work around it. Because sometimes some weaknesses are so that maybe you don't have that much time on hand, but at the same time, there is always going to be a workaround around it. Understand your limitations. That's very, very important, especially for me as an Indian woman. There are limitations. I'm sure for every other kind of person out there, there are going to be limitations for you. Understand what those are. Learn to accept it first. Learn to embrace it. That's very, very important because I think that first, you know, you're probably going to be dejected that I can't do this because of this limitation or I can't do this because of this limitation. But when you start to embrace it, you learn to accept that it is what it is and you start working around it or you find other ways to get to your end goal, which is very, very important on this journey because the path that you think you start out with is never the path that you end up with. You've got to keep pivoting in between and there's going to be multiple pivot pivots along the way. So Understand your limitations, understand what you can and cannot do, understand the resources that you have access to, the resources that you do not have access to. The minute you are clear about these things, it becomes that much more easier for you to navigate the challenges because you are aware of what you can do and cannot do. And I think that's where that's a game changer. A lot of people think that it's external factors that got to work around and, you know, it's got to be clear. 
I set up my company in the middle of a pandemic. And trust me, there were a couple of months where I earned absolute zero income because businesses did not even know if they could be open in the next six months, you know? And I understood in that time that it's not just external factors. You've got to figure out your internal factor as well. And you are a pretty big internal factor when it comes to the success of your business. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely am a big believer in mindset. I feel like if you see something in your mind that's possible and you want to get it, you're going to get it. But it's also one of those things where those self-doubts, well, not even self-doubt, but you know what I mean? The kind of self-deprecation and all the kind of negative thoughts come in. And I feel like the people that are able to overcome those as well as kind of work on them, they end up coming out way stronger and way better than you can even imagine. Like, obviously, I don't know the things you've been through, but, you know, most people have this kind of feeling of imposter syndrome or why would people pay me and all this kind of stuff. And it's definitely something that you can overcome, but it's just about actually exposing yourself to those situations and then coming away with good feedback or, you know, coming away with another client off the back of it. But I think the first step is actually just getting something done. And your first thing will definitely be terrible, but the second thing will be better. And the third thing will be better. If you just keep going, you'll get better and better. You know, every expert that we know or every person that's amazing in their field was once terrible, you know? And I guess I'm trying to ask you the question of how did you kind of develop yourself as a, as a business person? Cause you, to be honest, you seem to have it all together, despite you saying, you know, <laughs> you, you could be broken this and that, whatever you seem to have it all together. So talk me through that process of just being aware of yourself and kind of you know, improving in that way. Yes, absolutely. And I 100% agree with the fact that um, the first thing you do, the first anything you put out there is going to be horrible. Like I'm telling you, I'm so embarrassed about my first YouTube video. I'm super embarrassed about the first podcast episode that I ever launched. But those are part of my journey and I love them so much. You know, as much as I am embarrassed, I can see the growth that I've taken over the course of 100 episodes on my podcast or I think it's 146 videos on YouTube. So my thing, my, I guess I would say one thing that I actually do, and this is kind of a secret, um, I actually take a look at many of the big digital entrepreneurs out there, the content creators, and I go all the way back to the first video that they created or the first podcast episode that they released. And I kind of gauge where they started out with and where they are today. And that gives me hope, Sam. That really, really gives me hope. Because when you see that trajectory, okay, you understand that they also came from a starting point. They didn't just arrive where they are today. And a lot of times when we follow these big content creators, we follow them when they're at like 50,000 subscribers or you know, at when they are already at their peak, we don't really see the direction of how they pivoted and how the corrections that they've made, some of the stuff that they've improved on. So for me personally, it's very, very inspiring to go all the way back. It takes a lot of time of digging, but go all the way back, take a look at any of your favorite content creator, take a look at the first podcast episode that they released, take a look at the first YouTube video that they made, see where their starting point is Um, where their starting point was, sorry, and where they are today, analyze the shifts that they've made and try to incorporate that mindset for your business as well. So this is one thing that has really pushed me. The second thing is self-confidence. I think that a lot of people have this misconception that 
self-doubt has to be eliminated completely or it should be wiped out. And, and, you know, there's so many catchy slogans out there, but that's what they all are. They're just slogans. I don't think it is possible for you to wipe out self-doubt completely. And in fact, I think it is very essential for us as business owners or even humans for that matter. I think a healthy dose of self-doubt is important because like, for example, me writing this book, I'm probably one of the very, 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 very few authors out there who've written about hitting four figures. Usually people talk about six or seven figures. And of course, that ties back into what I've written in my book. And we're going in different trajectories. So I'm going to uh, leave that alone. But my point is I had a ton of self-doubt while writing the book. I had a self-doubt about the fact that I was only at four figures. I had a self-doubt about the marketing behind the book. But because of that self-doubt, I'm going to be triple checking my marketing. I have deleted a quarter of what I had planned for the book, you know? So the, the self-doubt has actually helped me. Now, let's come to the different concept that I have personally when it comes to self-doubt. And I think that between self-doubt and self-confidence, all you've got to do is to raise your self-confidence to hit more than your self-doubt. That's it. It's okay if it exists. It's okay if it's there, but you've got to put in the work to raise your self-confidence. I think that's a simpler path to take rather than trying to wipe out your self-doubt completely. That's really, really tough. It's really, really hard. Not just that, your confidence actually builds after you do the task, after you've found success with it. A lot of people have this misconception that you start with confidence. While that may be true that you have to have a little bit of confidence, I do want to say that your confidence actually exponentially builds after you finish the task. So you've got to just, I guess I would say, clench your teeth and push through it. Do whatever it is that you have to do. Understand that it's okay to be a, a little doubtful of your capabilities, but take steps to raise your self-confidence. Like for example, for me, I will give you an example for my, from the writing of my book. I started writing Jan 2021, Sam. I stopped writing in April because my self-doubt, my imposter syndrome was just getting way too much. I could not handle it. And from April 2021 till October 2021, that was six months, I actually took the time to raise my self-confidence. I read um, very, very small stuff, you know, but so impactful. I read composition books that I had written when I was a kid. I read the story that I had written in engineering and that never got published. You know, I read my blog posts and the comments that people had given. I spoke to a couple of my old teachers about what they thought about my writing. So I took steps to raise my self-confidence. I took a look at my awards that I'd won for my writing. After I raised my self-confidence to exceed my self-doubt, I started writing and then I finished the book. So I'm not saying that I was not without any self-doubt. Everyone faces it, but you've got to find actionable steps to raise it beyond that. Inaction is when self-doubt is more than your self-confidence. Action is when your self-confidence is more than your self-doubt. That is such a great phrase. I'm going to have to <laughs> try to remember that and just live my day-to-day -day life with that one because it is such a powerful powerful okay. phrase so you've written a book you've built a business and you're you're only just getting started from what i can tell like as in you're, you're trying to scale up and, and keep going from there so i guess for you what does the what does the future look like what do you want to do with your business and in your business 
world domination. <laughs> um, in, a lo- in a lot of ways, I guess, one, I want to create a business that knows no borders. So literally world domination, because for me, I think I want to be able to help businesses across the world. I don't want to be restricted with any border or any industry for that matter. Not just that, I think for me, my personal desire, I mean, my online pseudonym is The Marketing Nomad. So for me, I do have a passion for travel. I do have a passion for marketing. I think my vision for my business is building a business that allows me to travel the world, not just a couple of weeks a year, but actually live and experience the culture and the place. And that's the direction that I'm heading. I don't have plans as in like eight or nine figures. No, that's not my plan. My plan is very simple to lead a happy, satisfying life, stable life as well. At the same time, with something that allows me to pursue my passion for both marketing and travel. Yeah. And talk me through this this digital nomad stuff you're doing. How does that work? How often do you travel? Where do you go? Why do you decide to go there? That type of stuff. So uh, the last two years, of course, there have been no travel. And um, which, of course, I don't think I could have been able to travel. Like I said, extremely broke, did not have uh, the money to travel. I was busy building it up. But in the last uh, couple of months, I've actually traveled to Mumbai. I've traveled to Hyderabad. So I'm starting out locally. Mm-hmm. And it was different for me because, you know, it's solo travel and it's quite scary for me a little bit. But I'm starting to get used to the idea and going. So money definitely factors into the decision that I make when it comes to planning my travels. Not just that, you know, if um, there are any vlogs online that talk about how amazing a place is, that usually factors into my decision making. So I don't have any like restrictions when it comes to where I want to go. I want to go everywhere, but money does hold a bit of a restriction sometimes. So I guess it's, you know, planning my finances around where I want to go, saving up for an upcoming travel and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're going to be, but this time next year, you're going to be full of so many stories about all the places you travel to and the things you've experienced and, you know, the growth of your business. So I'll definitely Absolutely. be like keeping in touch with you with regards to that. Cause I, I love to hear about people traveling. I'm not a massive traveler myself, but I do plan to get out there more and, and, you know, see the world because it's there to be seen. And, you yes. know, no one could have planned what happened, you know, two years ago with the pandemic. You would never thought there'd be a time where, you know, basically yeah. outside is closed. So yeah. That is a very, very wild time. But I guess one last question I want to ask you is kind of an all-encompassing question about what you do and why you do it. But what is it about marketing that brings you the most joy? I think it's consumer behavior. It's understanding why they think the way they do, why they behave the way they do. I've always been drawn to psychology from when I was a little kid. And I think That's what fascinates me about marketing, that every single thought process that they have, every single emotion that they feel is based on something. There is uh, something that triggers that thought process. And to use that to help them, to help consumers themselves find a way to help themselves, like through products and services, I really like that. I think that's the most challenging part of the job, to let them know that, hey, This is a product and service that is actually going to be helpful for you to get to point B faster or in a more efficient way. I think that's where my excitement is. And I'm a highly creative person. I mean, you will find out when you check out my social media platforms, but I'm a very, very, very creative person. So for me, marketing, it really triggers that creative side for me, the marketing strategies. 
and I, I just am in love with it basically. I could go on and on about it. <laughs> and Prit, where can the people find you online? Yes, so I'm the marketing nomad everywhere. I'm a YouTuber, I'm a podcaster, I'm an Etsy shop owner, I'm a Skillshare teacher as well. You can either find me the marketing nomad or Prithvi Madhukar, my full name. I'll send Sam my uh, links and I'm sure he's going to put it in the description box. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.